Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. I love listening to podcasts. And when I came across Quadro Karamantang's podcast, Solving Healthcare, I was hooked. He's an engaging and energetic host. He is also a palliative care and critical care doctor in the midst of a global pandemic. How does he have the time or energy to create his podcast, as well as fulfill his duties as a father, researcher, and doctor? Well, let's find out. Thank you for listening. This is episode 14. Welcome, Kwajo Karamantang, Dr. K, in the house. I'm so excited. In the house. <laughs> thank Linda. Thank you. I feel privileged to be in the arena here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You're welcome. I realize your podcast, Solving Healthcare, is meant to actually be for people in the healthcare industry. But as a layperson, I actually get a ton out of it, even though some of those $70 words go buzzing past. <laughs> it's just great to listen about mental health, about diet, exercise, and, and listening to the many struggles that you in the healthcare industry are having. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Linda. And yes, we tailored to young healthcare professionals because we figured that those are the people that are going to create change. But I always say before doing the interview, assume that your mother's listening to this. I want everybody to be able to understand and take something away from it. I will remind myself and my guests not to use that $70 lingo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Myocardial infarction. No, that's a heart attack. <laughs> Speak to me in my language. I got you now. I got you. I'll, next time I'll I do an interview, I'll be thinking of Linda and uh, exactly right. what she said. So. Throw in a few $300 words, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Amp it up a bit for me. Pheochromocytoma. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Okay. You are a father of three beautiful boys. You're a husband. You're a critical care and palliative care doctor in Ottawa. You're a researcher and assistant professor at the University of Ottawa. You have a master's of health administration. You're the founder of the Resource Optimization Network and the host of the podcast, Solving Healthcare. And you may be Ghana's greatest export. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll, they won't agree with that. But man, when you put all that together, Linda makes me feel... Uh... Special. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought as I was, I was writing all that, I thought, wow, I feel like I'm talking to Drake before he was Drake. <laughs> Do you sleep ever? You, oh my God. How many hours a day are you working? No, it's amazing. You know what the thing, Linda, that I, I have a lot of pride in is really thinking about ways to work smartly, like how to be really efficient with your time. And it's a conscious effort for me. It's something that I put time and a lot of thought, a lot of reading, a lot of audiobooks on the content. And honestly, it's made a world of difference. And I think that's one aspect. And I, and the other part is I have a very understanding, beautiful wife that allows me to do all these things and is very supportive. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to create a lot of the stuff that we've done. But I, I do think all of us, including myself, could always think about ways of being more efficient with our time and, and having that support and creating a team too. For example, a research team has, we've been able to secure some funds to have an amazing group, Laura Thompson, Julia Hajar, all the, all you guys, if you're listening, shout out to y'all. And then our podcast group, it's a group of, I don't know how many volunteers now to help you with the show notes, with the, all the media posts, 
the booking of guests. I got a lot of help. So I, I think I couldn't do it without the team. But when you, as you said, Linda, when you put it all together, you just think about it and be like, whoa, man, there's a, a lot happening. But yeah, the team is everything. That's awesome. When I looked at your many interviews and your websites and listening to your podcast, you're really a role model, a mentor, a trailblazer, and truly an inspiration all around. The listeners obviously can't see you, but you're a very, I don't know what age you are, but you're a very vibrant person and obviously care passionately about the people that you're serving, both as a doctor, but also representing your community as a Black physician and someone who can be a role model for those who imagine a future for themselves and they can see it in you. So congratulations on that. Well, Linda, if I could blush, thank you. And I just want to say, uh, like a lot of it stems from growing up as a, a Black man, you're hard pressed not to value justice. And when you see people that are being poorly treated or underserved or underappreciated. After a while, you just can't just sit and watch. And you see it every day in the healthcare system and the ICU where people and, and they've down on their luck and you realize we could probably do better to serve all of them. And so you, you just have that voice in the back of your head saying, hey, can we do better and what can we do now? And one thing I've slowly learned, and I'm 43, by the way, a lot of these things you can't wait for permission for. I spent a lot of my life waiting for approval or permission to try these new things, to do these endeavors, and you just got to do it. Don't look for approval deep down in your, your gut, your soul that says, this is the right step. This is the right play. There's a reason that voice is there, and just do it. Just hustle. Things will come into place eventually. You'll figure it out. A lot of us are resourceful, wise smart people. We can figure it out as you go. But I'll tell you, if I hesitated with half of this stuff, we wouldn't be anywhere with a research podcast, mentorship program. Like you just do it and good things will happen. Where did this all start? Did you have role models that kind of said, yeah, I'm going to be all these things when I'm 40 something years old? <laughs> oh, actually, I've never really... Well, I shouldn't say I've never thought of it. I just maybe have never been asked. I grew up in Edmonton, a very loving household. I'm one of four kids. And once again, my old man, Justice was also a big part of his life. Like he grew up, he was born in 39 and had a ton of racist, prejudicial activity happen in his life. And so was always adamant about serving others and doing our best to create justice and Grew up in a very Christian household too. So it's always about what can we do for others? And uh, yeah, and because of that, I think it led me into a world of medicine. And I've always been a dreamer. I've always had that kind of mindset of like, why not dream big, see what happens? And even to me, getting into medicine was a monster dream. It wasn't like a lot of my peers were in medicine or anything like that. And yeah, just always dreaming big. I, I, I did feel like one of the reasons I do, do try and mentor and, and, and role model as much as I can is because I felt like that was a part of my life that was lacking a bit. Like uh, even going through medicine, I didn't have people that put you under their wing and said, hey, this is the way. And so knowing how much that would have been valued, I think is a reason why I try and do that for some of our uh, younger generation. But uh, yeah, I, I never really thought of that question about what led to trying to aim high. But now I can tell you, Linda, it's contagious. Once you realize you can achieve your dreams and achieve some of these goals, like you, 
you just hustle and you just try and make stuff happen. The podcast was about probably took about two and a half weeks before we decided from, yeah, we should do this to doing our first show. We did a bunch of charitable stuff. Like the the one I think was the fastest. We did this one during the beginning of the pandemic, feeding frontline staff. One of our team members was like, hey, morale seems to be low. You guys think about maybe feeding some of the nurses and the doctors that are working on front lines. And I was like, yeah, Emily, that's a great idea. That's a Monday. Tuesday, we look up what we have to do with GoFundMe. Wednesday, we launch it. Thursday or Friday, I end up on the news talking about our GoFundMe page. And then before it raises $30,000 and feeds a ton of people locally. And that was like within a week. And so then you realize a lot of these obstacles are often a perception and just do it. If you have the idea, don't wait for permission. You'll figure it out as you go. But yeah, once you start to get a taste of what you could actually accomplish, you just want to do more and more to help out others. The other one that we're really proud of, we have this charity called Bridges Over Barriers, which once again, with the justice theme of seeing how young kids with being impacted by social inequalities, not having those money resources, how that could lead them into a life of struggle. We developed this charity that says, hey, social workers that are frontline, if you see an issue, here's some funds to deal with it. Kid doesn't have shoes, pay for those shoes. If they don't have a bus pass, this is what the fund is there for. And that's another one that came out in a relatively short period of time, raised close to $65,000 so far, have reached out to over 300 families. And once again, this is not us spending years of planning. This is going on the seat of our pants, five members, never fundraised before and said, hey, let's try and make some stuff happen. And yeah, it's, it really is a beautiful thing. Palliative care, ICU, what brought you to that particular world? Why go into palliative care? You are a really positive guy. Let's choose one of the most depressing <laughs> areas of medicine, right? It's yeah. great. This is where people die. I get to see where people are in the most pain. What brought you to that? Yeah, thank you for the question, because you might be surprised with my answer. So I think just a short version of how I got there. ICU was always going to be, I think, my, the world for me. Fast paced, think on your toes. You never know what's coming through. You work as a team. It's tons of fun. I love that part of my job. The thing that people don't realize is about a fifth of our patients actually pass away in the ICU. So a lot of it is related to you want to have adequate palliative care, great communication and all that. So I decided, hey, this would be great training to me to be a better palliative care doc. And then the other aspect of palliative care people don't realize is it's sad because people are dying, but it's us just trying to make the dying process as least painful or least traumatic as possible for the patients and their family. And I could tell you, honestly, some of the most moving moments I've had in my career are during those times. And it truly is a privilege to be there with the patients and families during that time, to be part of that and knowing that you could have reduced dad suffering. The way you communicated has brought a lot of peace to that family. All these things are really why we actually get into medicine, to be able to alleviate patients and their families from suffering. And so to be part of that is a privilege. And selfishly, it's the times where I feel most connected to patients and families. And honestly, times that you never forget, conversations you never forget, moments that you never forget when, you know, 
pre-COVID when there's eight people in the room and they're talking about how Uncle Dan always took off his shirt at the dinner table and laughing during those times and hugging and hand-holding. And it's beautiful. It really is. And so it's actually quite a blessing. And there's times where it feels like it's the last place you want to be. The ones that got to me were always young moms. Like I always got to me young moms because how many people are being affected? Like her three kids, their siblings, the parents are usually still alive. The uncles, aunts, the nieces, nephews. It's just such a wide net that that mom is affecting. And so that always got to me. Like that, those are the ones that you bring home and take a while to get over. But for the most part, you just feel like you're really doing a great job to help patients and family get through a tough time. So being in that environment right now through the pandemic has got to be brutal. You're on the front line of what we all don't want to imagine. It's terrifying. Out of all the stuff that we're dealing with COVID, and I was there in, was it March, when our first ICU COVID patient came through at the one of my sites? I know how scary those times were, but one of the things that still eat at me is, especially early on the pandemic, when you see patients die alone, you got these patients that hustled their whole life. They're great, they're angelic, and whether it's through policy or the loved ones are afraid to come into hospital, whatever it might be, when they're dying alone, I, like nobody deserves that. Nobody. And that was the hardest pill to swallow out of all this stuff I've dealt with during the pandemic, for sure. I just feel no, just no one deserves that. And it, it takes a toll not only on the care providers like, like us and, and the nurses that are at the bedside, but we're also cognizant of the grieving process and how challenging that could be for their, their families. And so it's an unfortunate impact of the pandemic. And I just wish it didn't have to be a part of it. What event in your life has had the most profound impact on you? God damn, that's a massive, that's a <laughs> massive question. What is the biggest? Oh man, that's a, it's a great question. There's so many angles. Like a lot of things come to mind, like getting into medicine, my father passing, meeting my wife, the birth of my very first child, like all the children obviously were meaningful, but the first time when you realize you're going to be a dad, if I had to choose one, I would definitely, it would definitely be related to family. Like the birth of Teddy, our first son was like, what a moment. Like I still, to this day, I pinch myself realizing I'm an actual dad, like I'm responsible for these offspring, but man, like the innocence the love that you feel immediately, like immediately when you see them and the pride to this unwavering love where you're like, I will do anything to protect this child. I will like steam through this wall if we need to be able to protect my family and my child. And yeah, that would probably be, if I had to choose one right now, the most profound moment. But there's been a lot comes to mind as I listed off and something even as simple in my career. One, This is going to sound really ridiculous, but the single step that I think made in my career that I don't think we'd be talking today if it wasn't for this move was hiring my own research assistant with my own money. It was just, it was a mind flip. So I was trying to create a research program, which now is a resource optimization network. And I had a couple of papers ready to go. Like my personality, I'm big picture. I'm like ideas person, get stuff out there, but I get stifled by these extra steps. Like to submit a paper, you got to make sure it's a certain 
style and it meets certain criteria. And once I see those roadblocks, I'm just like, I stiffen up. And so my wife, Kathy, helped push me towards saying, you know what? I know it's your own money, but it doesn't matter. She'll work on all these kind of minor stuff that you don't like doing and you'll be able to be more productive. Once I made, jumped over that hurdle, magic started to happen. Instead of one paper or two papers a year, slowly we go up to five, 10, 20, hiring more people to do other stuff and realizing like, I don't have to do everything, delegating where I can. And so you get to, to realize how productive you could actually be. Same thing with the podcast, realizing, hey, I could get people to help me put the show notes, to help with the social media, all that kind of stuff. That principle of delegating and asking for help, even if it's an investment at the time, I guarantee you we wouldn't be talking here if it wasn't for that step. So that was one of the most uh, profound moments or steps in life too. But yeah, that, I could talk to you all day about profound stuff, though, Linda, but those are the ones that come to mind. It's great. And I'm taking notes on the delegating the work. <laughs> oh, one of my biggest passions out of all this stuff is productivity. If you ever want to go dive into that, I am your huckleberry from email to sleep to exercise, nutrition. I'm all about it. So I, it's, uh, that's one of my mantras in life. I'm serious. I can't believe this man sleeps. And I, I was just listening to your last episode about sleep yesterday. So, <laughs> ah, that can't be it. <laughs> oh man. I, that one I could use help with though. I'm not, I'm not the best. I don't have the best sleep habits. There's a, a lot of aspects in life that we could tweak, but yeah, I should be going to bed earlier. So the podcast that I'm doing is about living courageously. Yes. What does living courageously mean to you? Honestly, Linda, is it's authenticity, man. It, it is like sticking with what you're made out of, what makes you tick and being authentic. And at the end of the day, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I stuck to my guns. I, I did the right thing based on what I believe. I think we too easily lose ourselves. We ask a lot of people, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And, and seek the other's approval. And it takes courage to go against the grain. Like when you go to, whether it's somebody you respect or not, or your friend and say, hey, yo, I'm thinking about starting this podcast called The Arena. What do you think? And they're saying, well, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough, all that stuff. It takes courage to say, you know what? My authentic self's telling me this is the right thing. And I'd rather fail going with my instincts than to just fall by the wayside. So personally, sticking with your guns, being sticking with your authentic self, that's where true courage comes from. And I, I know that's something I work on every day and it's easier said than done. But when you do, magic happens, beautiful things happen, and you end up happier at the end of this all. And what gets in your way sometimes when you're trying to drive through the next goal? Often it's self-talk, negative self-talk. Most of the time it's not coming from a legit place, like that negative self-talk, fear of looking stupid, sounding stupid. But once you get over that ego of you don't have to look good, you don't have to sound intelligent all the time, and realizing that the people that care for you will love you no matter what. This wasn't a a clear step in life, but maybe it was around the age of 40 or just before that of giving way less of a damn what people think, like way less of a damn. It is so freeing. You know what I mean? It's so freeing in so many ways. And once again, something I'm working on every day that is extremely freeing. What impact do you want to have on the world? 
I just want to leave an impression that you're enough. Whoever you may be, you're enough. Like you don't need to be seeking other people's approval. You don't need to be what your mom or dad think you want to be. Be yourself, be happy, be positive, be an example for others. And that's enough. And if we have more people believing in themselves and more people seeing the world in that light, I think we would see happier people, less depression, less anxiety, less fighting. And I just try and do my best to lead by example in that way. And even if you affect one person out of all the stuff that we do, if you affect one person, that could trickle down in so many ways. You got that 48-year-old mom that has been trying to think about doing another career that is trying to do her best to just rechange your life. And she listens to one of your episodes and she's, you know what, I'm going to make that change. And then her friends see how she's made improvements in her life. So maybe they're going to have that change themselves. And that could trickle down to so many people, even if it is a one or two, it can be the world to so many people. So this is what I'm all about. It's not about absolute numbers necessarily. It's just knowing that you could have that impact and it could be so meaningful. What would you do on your last day? Oh, man. I would I'd probably end up doing the stuff I love. Like I, to me, what I love is to be able to laugh, to be able to exercise, to be able to move, to be around others. So maybe I'd, I'd have a last game of hockey with our friends, maybe have people over and I'd smoke a brisket or something and they all come over and we have some laughs and talk about old times. Definitely, I wouldn't want to spend a moment without my kids. I'd want them to be around that day. And obviously my wife as well. But to me, this is a thing that's a blessing of my line of work, Linda, is you realize how fragile life is. And so there's not too many things I I could say that I am waiting to do because we know tomorrow, there's no guarantees. If I had to die tomorrow, like I I can honestly say I've lived a full blessed life, like truly blessed. Yeah, that my last day it doesn't have to be something special. It'd be cool to meet Obama, but I I don't have to do anything specific. I, I feel pretty lucky as I as as I do right now. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up? Maybe I'll just say Linda, the show, the arena, how great what you're doing and what you're creating is and putting it out to the world and having that level of courage, how important this is during these times. This is for most of our generation, they haven't gone through something similar or haven't gone through anything like this. And courage and resilience is just something that we, we need right now. And having these strong, uplifting conversations on a regular basis, I think is what the world needs. I just want to commend you for doing that. In terms of other things that in the world of quadricare manting and solvent healthcare, we're, we're all about empowering the individual, especially the healthcare provider, but individuals, a lot of the stuff that you're tackling right now, you have the power to overcome or do better. Like whether that's your physical health, your mental health. And we just want to provide you with tools that will be able to help you overcome some of these obstacles. So I think solventhealthcare.ca is where we're at. If you, if anybody's got any ideas on topics that you feel like we need to cover or that would be, that would serve you, we're very open-minded. I can't count to you how many times people have just texted me or messaged me. It's, Hey, you ever think about doing a show on X, Y, Z? And we were like, Okay, we'll book that next week. 
I highly encourage you to check it out. And once again, just proud of Linda and what you're trying to do. And it's a true privilege to be able to join you. Thank you. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to give a shout out to Quadcast Nation for me. <laughs> Quadcast Nation. Whoa, I almost fell on I almost had a trauma here. Quadcast Nation, we love you. Thank you for all of your efforts and listening and support. We try to change that boogie. We're trying to change the landscape of healthcare and we're doing it on a regular basis. So yes, thank you, Linda and Quadcast Nation. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to change that boogie. Let's go. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my God. Keep up the good fight, man. I, I think you're amazing and I love what you're doing. And I have no doubt that you're a massive inspiration to everybody around you. And your sons have an incredible role model. Thank you very much. I hope you continue the hustle because it's what a story, man. And I can see it in your disposition that your trajectory is on the way up. You know what I'm saying? Thank you so much for this. It's been a lot of fun. Quajo and all his colleagues are fighting so hard on behalf of us through this pandemic. Thank you to every one of them. I heard recently that due to the surge in numbers, they are no longer the front line. We are. I hope you'll all continue to stay home, stay safe, and stay sane through the remaining months of the pandemic until the vaccine is widely available. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. And if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow my blog about courage, creativity, and change, or learn more about what I do, please visit my website at www.lindamclaughlin.com. I'd love to hear from you. I look forward to sharing my next guest story. She's my roommate and best friend from the National Theatre School. We went through some life-altering experiences at that time, and it shaped who we became though it no longer defines us. We talk about that time and who we are now. I look forward to sharing this interview with you. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena. <laughs>